Hello, everybody. Welcome to another King and Servant podcast. My name is Jonathan Goundry, and I'm delighted to be here once more to bring to you, I would argue, another exciting edition of uh, of the King and Servant show. Um, but before I introduce the guest who's here this evening, and uh, I always get excited when this person's in studio, as you'll discover in just a few moments, uh, I do want to begin with some quick announcements, uh, just to keep you abreast of some things we're doing here at King and Servant. First of all, just to remind you... Um, I am in the works of uh, getting um, an internet connection into the studio so that we can uh, have a live broadcast. So the long-term goal is to go from a podcast to a webcast. But what this will also allow us to do is to have guests on the show uh, through telephone. And I'm really looking forward to the prospect of that because there are some people out there who would like to be on the show, but we're just not geared up for it because they don't live in South Florida and they can't physically be in the studio here with us. Um, also, I'm working on this mini project called Paradoxical Theology. Uh, if we get hooked up with the internet here, then we can do that as well uh, with some guests lined up. And also, um, I do want to put together a small mini series on reaching out to Jews and Muslims. Uh, in particular, Muslims, it's uh, been a, actually a personal note for me uh, in the past month or so. And I've really felt compelled uh, to put together uh, a good, solid teaching of how we should understand uh, the teachings of the Quran and how we can best reach out to to Muslims. And then following that, I would like to do a show on Judaism. Uh, Living in South South Florida, there's a lot of uh, Jews in this community and uh, I work with a few and um, uh, my dad knows a few and it's just going to be appropriate, I think, to give attention to those two faiths because they are Abrahamic in origin. We have... Abraham in common with these two faiths uh, but after that there's some radical differences uh, so just pray for me that uh, God will give me the time to really do my homework I don't want to just I mean I never throw something together but <laughs> well not always <laughs> not all the time but um, I do wish to um, make a real good job of, of those two special shows and maybe I can get a guest on somebody who was once a Jew and convert to Christ or maybe somebody who was once a Muslim and converted to Christ. Uh, sometimes you can't beat, believe it or not, the testimony of somebody who's came out of a, a faith like that and embraced Christ as Lord and Saviour. So those are the introductions uh, out the way. But what I have for you tonight is uh, something that um, has just recently in my heart begin, began to brew. Um, but it's something that my guest here has been thinking about for some time. So when we were talking about it the other day, I thought, we need to do a show on this. And there's even a prospect of even doing, doing a debate on this uh, sometime down the road. I've been in talks just this week about this very subject. Uh, but I thought the best person to talk to on this show with this subject would be my good father, Stephen Garvey. So father, daddy, whatever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> reverend, <Yeah>. welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. It's Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back again. Yeah, once again, I uh, um, just go at length. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have to, but it's very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like I said uh, in the uh, in the uh, the prelude when we were talking, 
You are actually my favorite person in ministry. <laughs> in but, but I'm not saying you're my favorite person. Yeah, just in ministry. Right, but just in ministry, right. you are my... F- I just want you to know that. Because your well. mum is your favorite person. <laughs> I was going to say... Well, I won't tell you what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it was really shallow. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so uh, my dad knows me through and through. And uh, it always creates great dialogue. And I had you on the show about two months ago, I believe. Yes. And at that time... Um, the show generated a lot of in, a lot of interest, a lot of downloads, mm-hmm. and I talked to one or two folks who really don't know uh, us too well, yeah. but are acquainted with us, and they kind of said nice comments in a way, uh, but they they commented along these lines: uh, "Well, you guys, I'm sure you're just putting on a bit of a show, a slight pretense to make the the, the show gel and to play that happy family role, you yeah, know." Yeah. But honestly, this is what we're like. Yeah, it is. You know, we, we talk like this all the time and around the lunch table and the breakfast table. And at times, especially since uh, my dad knows I do this show, uh, we say to each other, we need, to, we need to do a show on this. Yes. I think that's what we need to do. We need to have a recording nearby as we have this, have this dialogue. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the subject that we have for you is actually, and this is why... You may be thinking it's not going to be that exciting. But I guarantee you, if you stick with us, you'll get at least something from it. But the subject we have tonight is ecclesiology. That's what we're going to discuss, because we've both noticed, haven't we, in in our ministerial life, and especially in uh, recent years, there is a whole variety of different ways of doing church. Absolutely. Um, As I said, I've been in the ministry a long time now, so I've seen a lot of shapes and sizes of um, structure and church government and there are some that would say well you know it's it's not really the wine skin that's important it's the wine that's important and to that we agree you know it is Christ it is the Holy Spirit it is the wine that is the most important but the wine skin is there to keep the wine and preserve the wine so uh, even though while our topic tonight might be more to do with the wine skin uh, it's a very important topic because we don't want to lose anything. Mm-hmm. And um, God has given us uh, some guidance in his word concerning the wineskin. Right, and we're not to despise the wineskin. In fact, there was a, a book published just last year that was entitled um, A Study in Ecclesiology and in Prayers of Institutionalized Religion. Wow. <laughs> right, so I think they were going too far the other way. Yes. But it came as a relief to the uh, emerging church movement of philosophy, which basically has close to zero church government. Yeah. Now, there's different strands of emerging church, but when you look at the, uh, the far-reaching swing of that emerging church pendulum, you really do see some uh, some worrying things yes. where we almost have a dissolvement of any authority in the local congregation through the eldership. Uh, so we were talking about this, and um, we did notice those two extremes. We yeah, have very much so. hierarchicalism and all those different forms of church government, government we see in church history and even in present day. And we also have um, the Anabaptists historically and now uh, the emerging church presently that seem to do away entirely at times yeah. with any type of official structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's about time we did a study in this and we go back to the Bible and we say, okay, what is the Bible talking about here? How is it instructing us to govern ourselves in the local congregation? And what is the importance of the local church? 
Um, so I think in introduction here, let's deal with the why question. Yes. Why is the local church, Dad, so important, biblically speaking? Well, for me, it is, um, apart from being the pillar and ground of truth, it's effectively the way the kingdom has advanced, that uh, through local churches, Christ is expressed locally in that community. And um, that needs to be there as a permanent witness of, of Christ, his love, his truth. And um, let me give you a practical um, situation that I've uh, come across in my, in my life. There are times, as you know, when we've done a lot of medical ministry, and we've been able to go into different countries, and where we found a local church, we were able to give all the fruit of our labor to that local church to help it build mm -hmm. the kingdom. Um, but there are places where we've gone and there's been no church, and what we've done has been for mercy's sake, just because Jesus is merciful. And God is merciful. So we've gone and shown mercy through the medical ministry. But th there was always a question nagging at my mind, where did that fruit go? I mean, you trust the Lord that um, if he led you there, then that's his business and he'll take care of it. But uh, for us, I think we have a responsibility as well to not um, cast our seed everywhere, but to do it with intelligence and by the Spirit's leading and usually that is to build a local church, the build the expression of Christ in that community. Yeah, the classic definition of a missionary is one who is sent out, like an apostle in many ways. Yes. But is sent out to plant churches and to see the establishment of the indigenous church on the foreign field. That's basically the classic definition. Now, yes. missionary work has uh, a broader application than that, and even perhaps arguably a broader definition. But essentially, if it doesn't lend itself or doesn't lead to the establishment of the local church on the mission field, then we really need to question if we're doing everything according to Scripture. Yes. Because according to the Scriptures, it's the local church that God has been pleased to minister to his saints in the New Testament age. Yes, and it's a question of influence and authority. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just influence. Right. Uh, you want to comment a little bit, expound on that? Yes, uh, I've heard some really good teachings um, from Mr. Maxwell, who I really appreciate, and I could listen to him all day. I've got a number of his books, um, and I'm, great to, I'm grateful to God for him. But um, I think one of the premises of his ministry, if not the premise, is leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. That's what came to us, was presented to us um, at our church, that leadership is uh, influence, mm -hmm. which, you know, has a kind of a nice ring to it. Sounds pretty good, you know. Um, if you're a true leader, then somebody should be following you. Right, it's very palatable. Yes, and very palatable to this generation who mm -hmm. don't like uh, any authority at all. <laughs> but biblically, inf uh, leadership is not just influence. Leadership is also office. It's therefore as an appointed title, and we don't want to get totally just lost in titles. And I understand why this generation has an aversion to that, um, because of you know the hierarchical, overbearing um, institutional systems that we've had have been horrible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and um, so you know that is a problem now. We are. 
a generation that will quite easily accept, oh, let leaders influence us, but don't don't tell us how to live, don't preach to us, don't have any authority uh, in our spiritual lives, don't rule over us type of thing. Right. Um, Even though the Bible says, obey those who rule over you. Yes. You know, and we're going to unpack this as well. What does it mean to rule over people? Because Hmm. some people have taken that way too far. Yes. Um, And we see that actually, I would argue, in many different expressions of church government. Hmm. Uh, So when we just quickly give a survey here of church government positions as has existed over church history, um, we're not going to villainize one primarily over another uh, because generally speaking, uh, you can have the wrong ecclesiology but the right man in charge mm-hmm. and the way he exists within that system of government is actually quite quite good. Yes. So you could have, if you will, like a, a, an Anglican minister who has a whole hierarchy to account for or to be answerable to and he can barely make any decisions without the approval of the people above him. But yet the way he ministers to his flock yes. under the radar is is very special and uh, very praiseworthy. So we're not talking about individuals here um, because it's a case-by-case point, I think, in many circumstances. But we're looking at, biblically, what is the best model to follow. Mm-hmm. So when we look at church history, we have seen a whole plethora of positions. If you ever want to know what creates denominations, it's normally ecclesiology yeah, to do with the structure of the church government and their position on the sacraments. That's generally what causes different Protestant denominations. Uh, there are other factors as well, of course, but uh, as we see it there in Protestant history. But before Protestant history, we had Catholicism. And Catholicism, as I understand it historically, in U-sharp church history theologians out there might be able to correct me, but as I understand it from my own study, the Roman Catholic Church was once the church in Rome. And because it was the epicenter of political life and business life, it became very prosperous. And as a result of that, they were able to assist uh, uh, in the needs of others more so than other congregations. And one thing led to another over time, this is gradual, but it led to that church being an epicenter not just that place as a capital, mm-hmm. but that church in Rome being an epicenter and the leadership getting more and more powerful and more and more dominating. Yeah. And then you fast forward a thousand years. I know this is an overview, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're flying by at a thousand feet here, you know, just kind of seeing yes. the mountaintops. Um, but we see that this actually brought about ministerial and apostolic succession. Yeah. Whereby uh, it was so hierarchical in nature that they would appoint one man known as the Pope who would have jurisdiction over the entire Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church was no longer a local congregation in Rome, but then it extended to the entire world. Yeah. And its influence uh, wherever it went. Um, But that's basically, as I understand it historically, how it happened over time. And it was at that point where Martin Luther, uh, actually disagreeing with many issues in the Catholic Church, sought to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't seek to dissolve it, but to reform it and get it back to biblical truth when it came to the gospel. Um, But one of the things that was quickly pointed out and refuted was the papacy and its ecclesiology and how there's no biblical warrant for one single pope model. Mm -hmm as the chief um, 
bishop on earth, and there's certainly no model for apostolic succession. And what I mean by apostolic succession is this idea that in order for you to be an official clergyman, you have to be ordained by other official clergymen. So the Protestant Reformation broke out and reformed a lot of this, but I think the first generation, because they were so entrenched in Roman Catholicism as they knew it back then, they didn't have the luxury or the time to reform everything. And um, a lot of them did distance themselves and, be- and became reformed churches. But from there was bred Lutheran ecclesiology, uh, Episcopalian ecclesiology, and Presbyterian ecclesiology. And again, just to give you a brief breakdown to those who are new to these terms, um, basically Anglicanism and Episcopalianism is one and the same, the Anglican church being the English equivalent of the Episcopalian church in America. And they would use those scriptures in the New Testament that speak of bishops and make a distinction between bishops and elders and how those bishops have this apostolic authority. And from there you have the presbytery. And then the Presbyterians would say, well, no, we don't have this distinction between bishops and elders. It's one and the same in the scriptures. But what we do have is presbytery over regions. And they would appeal to Acts 15. And we we should have time, hopefully, to dip into Acts 15 to discover what it's actually teaching. Because there you have the Jerusalem Council when they have discussions with the uh, Church of Antioch because of the uh, Judaizing heresies that were coming from Jerusalem and how that the apostles and the elders had to discuss this matter thoroughly to come to some conclusions. Uh, But from there, the Presbyterian church model, as I understand it, have used that as a blueprint for church government in general throughout the church age, that these local congregations that are Presbyterian should have a presbytery to whom they are accountable to. And I've spoken to Presbyterians uh, along these lines, both theologically and practically, So there's a theology, but practically speaking, sometimes I can understand the temptation or the reasons why one might embrace that system because it brings stability. Yeah. It's not me, my Bible in the woods. You know, you're not this backwards fundamentalist who comes up with new doctrines every five minutes, something to suit his fancy Mm. or her fancy. (laughs) Well, it gives legitimacy, doesn't it? Or a sense of legitimacy, which... uh, Mm-hmm. As you and I know, it's a strong currency within religious world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can't beat them, join them was one thing. But mm-hmm. uh, when there's competition on the block, mm-hmm. um, the established churches tend to, you know, give legitimacy uh, to an upcoming church. Um, yeah, could you unpack that a bit more as well, for mm. Father? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that as my earthly father, not princely yeah. father. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just Call no man your father. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah. would, would you unpack that, uh, that idea of legitimacy a bit more? Because we were discussing this as well privately, that most men have this craving in any circle of life, but particularly religious circles, yes. for the badge of legitimacy. Like, I am with those guys. I am Reformed. Yeah. I am Pentecostal. I am with the AG, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I've seen men go giddy yes. over being associated with a with a certain group and counterwise I've seen men devastated because people might think they like that other group yeah so this badge of legitimacy is a, it has idolatrous impulses yes if you ask me and uh, I just wonder if you could unpack uh, as you've experienced it in your own mm-hmm. life and your own experience uh, yes so, so what are your extra well, thoughts well let, let's just put it in, a, in, in simple terms you've got church A which is an established church of a historic denomination 
and you've got Church B um, on virtually the same block, which is another church that's been around a long, long time, and we're talking about a few hundred years. And then we get Church C, which is, um, in their terms, an upstart, um, new kid on the block, so to speak. And, and yet it's got something relevant f- for today, the anointing of God and blessing of God rests upon the ministries, and it's basically going great. And numerically, it's gaining strength. Um, what very often happens is that the established church A and established church B, though they're different denominations, they find a kind of common bond against church C. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Why do I feel like I'm Church C <laughs> in this story? Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking there. You know, I mean, um, <laughs> this is, it's just the, the nature of men mm-hmm. that when they feel threatened, they join um, for mutual benefit and uh, castigate maybe that which is threatening. And what usually happens is they come to a point where Church C is so so obviously growing and becoming more and more influential in the community that the only way they can really deal with it is to extend some sort of legitimacy to it and say, "Hey, we recognise you now. We oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we we uh, we we yeah. That's the best way to put. It. We recognise you now." Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd like to give you a place at the table with us. And therein lies a, um, a a very important point in the life of that church. Because mm-hmm. if they um, receive the legitimacy badge, hook, line, and sinker, yeah. when it's become... Right, there can be mutual fellowship. Mutual fellowship. I'm not talk, yeah, I'm not talking about that, but where the, the leadership is really seeking to be one of the boys... Mm-hmm. In town, you know. Now like, I can be associated with those guys. Yes, I can. Yeah, and I don't look an idiot anymore, and etc. Uh, etc. Et if they choose that in that spirit, what will happen is that yes, they will gain their legitimacy in town, but they will lose their edge. Mm-hmm. They will lose their cutting edge, and what will happen is the same fossilization that happened to Church A and Church B will start to come into church C mm-hmm. and, and before when, long and that's when the wineskin gets too old right? yeah the wineskin gets old and difficult to work with and um, well in the end there's very little difference between church A, B and C okay, kind of homogenised mm. and um, it's not that church A and B become apostate no not at all they have the gospel no. so this is not um, this is not like an either or fallacy like you're either completely in church C if we will in this illustration or you're in the apostate church that's not no. what's being said here at all sometimes church C can be apostate you yeah. know? <laughs> it's sometimes it's not accepted for a reason mm. uh, but as we observe this this uh, this craving that many men are susceptible to for this legitimacy uh, to resist that temptation right to to just join the jolly boys club mm. because the jolly boys club gives you that that profile within your society. And if you have that profile in your society, then that gives you the, the, the glory. Yeah. And all men without Christ as center want their own glory. 
So it sounds very, we're working together here, we're coming together. But I think there's a bit of glory at stake. And mm. I think that's what often underpins and motivates uh, some of us. Yeah. And it's in ourselves at times. It has to be crucified. Um, and we don't want to get too radical when we're like, we're not associated with anybody in case they take away our edge. Because mm. we see, don't we, in the book of Acts that churches had mutual cooperation with one another. Yes. They knew one another. Letters were passed around. And, and sent money and sent gifts. Right, the drought in Judea. Mm. Corinth, Corinth of all places um, helped out financially. Mm. And Paul blessed them for doing so. Yes. Um, and there are other examples as well of this mutual cooperation. Again, in Acts 15, we have this uh, account of the uh, Jerusalem Council. And we have... Uh, Teachers leaving the Jerusalem church, going to Antioch, which was the first real full Gentile church. And they were bringing in Judaizing heresies. So what happens as a result, word gets back to Jerusalem. And, and basically they have, they have a meeting to, to resolve this issue. But what we have going on in this passage is two things. The local church issue and the apostolic issue, which was, do the Gentiles have equal seating with us? At, at the table, yeah. so to speak. And in that case, they should extend, they, they did right in extending legitimacy to the Gentiles, yes. and the Gentiles did right in embracing that. Mm -hmm. But um, what I often find, as I alluded to a few moments ago, this is used as a blueprint, I think mistakenly by many, to say, okay, from now on, all churches must have a presbytery over them, where they have these uh, neutralized venues where they come together to discuss... A kind of executive council. An executive council. Mm. And is there a place for councils? Yes. yes. We, we are blessed by the church councils of history when it comes to establishing doctrine. Yes. Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon, and so yeah. on. But it shouldn't take away the authority of the local church. And my position and my father's position is the local church is autonomous. Absolutely. Not that it's without God's law. It is very much under God's law and the leadership of Christ and the authority of Scripture. But it's not immediately accountable to a hierarchy. Now, they can seek advice from anybody they want. They can have mutual cooperation with anyone they want. But ultimately, they stand and fall before Christ on their own merits. And we see this, I think, in the book of Revelation with the seven churches. Yes, each one is dealt differently. Dealt differently. According to its own merits or demerits. Right, and it's immediate beeline, if you will, mm. to, to Christ. Yes, walking through the candlesticks of those churches. Yes, walking through uh, the candlesticks of those churches. And what he says to one church, he doesn't say to another. Now, if the Presbyterian model was the correct position, or any hierarchical model for that matter was the correct position, why didn't Jesus just send the letter to the presbytery mm. to deal with it. I want to honour the, the system that I established. But no, he goes to each local congregation. Again, in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul goes around establishing elders in each city, in each town, Ephesus, and then he instructs Titus to do the same. And in Titus, it says, appoint elders where you're at. Yes. And this touches on um, how somebody is given the office of eldership. And uh, do you want to expound upon this a little bit? Yes, because in recent uh, in recent years, again, very um, reflective of our generation, uh, where we don't want anybody in any form of authority over us. There are there are books out now, and uh, it's a it's a kind of a, 
a feeling that comes with it that um, elders in the in the Bible were more like um, good men uh, who would um, guide, mm-hmm. uh, like um, shepherding in that sense, but they really pull back when it comes to office. Uh, they don't want anything to do with office because that gives authority as well as responsibility. And so um, this is one of the things that uh, the church in this present time now has to really watch that uh, we don't get seduced onto the other side of the road where the other ditch is. We know that the hierarchical stuff was yeah. horrible. I mean, we just have the medieval years to remind us of it. Of it. <laughs> and, we, and no, the relics of it are still with us. But mm-hmm. um, to go the other way where there is no structure in the local church, there's nobody that's got real uh, authority or responsibility from Christ. But, you know, we're just kind of guided by good old men who mean well and who live an example life before us. Right, they, they uh spiritually mature, so they just rise yeah. kind of like um, subtly to the top yes, in influence. Yeah, yeah. You know, And we revere and respect. And that's all nice, and you should, you should do that. Yeah. But we shouldn't just do that. Mm. We should have elders appointed to rule over the flock. Yes. Quoting their Titus and Hebrews. Yes. Those who watch out for your souls. As they must give an account. account. As they must give an account to God. Yeah. So, you know, those uh, those beloved uh, street preachers uh, who normally have a big yellow sign talking about the fate of homosexuals or something like that, yeah. or, or reading another translation other than the King James, yeah. or something like that. I know that's a bit polemical, but mm-hmm. uh, we do see those type of folks from time to time. One of the first things I feel led to ask them if I have dialogue with them, which is rare, uh, is who are your local elders? Mm-hmm. Who who are you accountable to? Yeah. Oh, my only elder is Jesus. Well, that's not that's not good enough yeah. because the Bible says we have to be accountable to elders that are being placed in the local church. That's how we see the scripture. But right now there yeah. is teachings now mm-hmm. that just see these. They say good, solid uh, men who can guide, but they don't give any. Uh, authority. There's no office. And there's no office, so they take away the authority. So the, uh, the the Ephesians passage, when it says he gave some to be pastors and teachers, um, I guess that was just uh, a well-meaning Jesus in the first century that had no intention to see a continuation of that. Well, they would just see those gifts as functions. Just functions. Functions, you know. Even though like, they're classically referred to as the office gifts. Yes, but... You know, they're looking at the scriptures again yeah, with new light, new light, new light, like and so they, you know, we've, uh, some have gone so far as to say that we've, you know, we've got it wrong for two thousand years. I mean, we have got some things very wrong, but but but, but, but <laughs> there again, it's like at best that's heterodox mm. to say that you, whoever you may be, have sat down with the Bible and then nobody. I mean, the people who were martyrs for the faith, those who studied. Greek, Hebrew, Latin had no TV, candlelight study for hours on end, and they never saw this. Mm. But you, in Western America, wherever you you are, you you, you see it and go, oh, there it is. Mm. I need to let everybody know. Yeah, I I would say if you get such an epiphany, take a second glance mm. at the scriptures. Second thoughts are pretty good on these matters. Yeah, it's a very bold claim. 
if it hasn't been heard of at all. Now, there's certain like minor peripheral things that people do discover in scripture. Let's face it. Yes. Like it was only in recent years that the word tetelestai. Yes. Uh, for dead and full, the full definition was really discovered. Yeah. Um, there were examples. Well, the grand grand Isle sharp rule, I think it is. Uh, how that works in Titus two thirteen in reference to the deity of Christ. So we make, you know, tweaks yeah. that previously you could say in shorthand haven't been seen before. But something as major as the local church that come come across as well. This was uh, previously unseen, and now I've studied it, and here it is. I think that's. I think that uh, is a red flag right there. Well, the ironic thing is. Um for people who are writing this stuff now is that they are decrying really um, how the church has just followed the Western pattern of culture, uh, how in recent years they've just followed the uh, corporate business model even uh, in our churches. But uh, what I, I don't think they see the beam in their own eye that these particular teachings now where there is there is no authority in the local church is very indicative of this generation. So mm. it's rather ironic that they see, you know, that which has been lacking in the Western church over years and they don't really see that they're still speaking from a contextualization of this generation who well, don't I mean, want anybody to preach to them. They don't want any preacher to preach the word where it bears down on their conscience. Yeah. They just want to really kind of um, meet in a circle mm-hmm. because uh, when you don't have authorities that are set in the church, apparently you reach your uh, decisions by consensus. Right, and that becomes the new absolute, right? General consensus. Which is rather naive at best. Yeah. Because you're always, going, box. Yeah, you're always yeah. going to have one person um, that's not you know, in agreement right. uh, for whatever reason. Right, and and this touches on... I mean, what role or influence should the congregation have? And I believe uh, that the congregation should have influence. Yes. It is the church. But it shouldn't have absolute influence uh, or um, influence whereby nobody really takes responsibility or is in charge. Mm-hmm. Where this week we feel like doing it this way, but now the, the general consensus is we need to do it another way. Yeah, well, we have politics then. <laughs> then we have politics and yeah. people have voted. Yeah, people in have voted power. in. Yeah, <laughs> voted in. And, and it's uh, instead of the leaders looking to God for his mind, yeah. they're looking to the people for their felt needs. What's right. bothering the people? What do they want? And what happens is, just like a politician, you, you, you funnel in on where the people are. Yes. Uh, instead of where God is taking them. Yeah. And uh, you... You let democracy really come in through that door, mm-hmm. and in the end, um, it, it, it kills the theocratic spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit uh, in God's chosen, appointed channels. Yes. And I know it's a question of balance, so we don't want well, to go on one side or the other. But Yeah, because you used the word theocratic there. We're certainly not espousing a theocracy, no. but there is a sense in a semi-theocratic way yes. that the eldership are responsible before God to be faithful stewardship, stewards rather of his word. Well, the Holy Ghost has made them overseers. Yes, that's right. The Holy Ghost. So it's not a matter of saying, well, you know, who amongst the congregation likes this guy? You know, <laughs> stick your hands up or put your vote in the box. From a yeah. biblical point of view, uh, you have to seek the mind of the Holy Spirit. Right. For right. who his choice is. Right, right. So um, 
I believe this is my balanced position in all of this, as I as I see see it anyway, is we want uh, the congregation even to be influential in the appointment of elders, but it can't mitigate against the final say of the elders. I think that would be my position. I, that think, we, I think that would be fair to say. That would be fair to say. Mm. And when you mentioned, I mean, you're more Pentecostal than me, but when you mentioned there the the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit in this yes. and the the uh, the authority, I yes. think, you know, not the influence, but the authority of the Holy Spirit in this. Um, I've often said when people have challenged my position uh, that the authority of Scripture and the gifts within a man, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit endowing a, a man with certain gifts, yeah. To minister is the sufficient foundation for the mature and complete church. So you should be seeking other men to attest to the calm that's on your life. Mm-hmm. Like I was ordained in California with yes. Reformed Baptist, and I was ordained with ICI through yes. you yes. and through ICI. Yes. Um, so I've had man, men attest to the calling that God has already put on me, mm-hmm. and that's the difference. And you can even have congregations who say or elderships that say, we don't recognize your call. That could happen. Yeah. But you can't make that absolute. Because if you make that absolute, then the um, that that eldership actually becomes a hierarchy. Yes. That they have spoken universally mm-hmm. of your capacity in ministry and your role in ministry. Uh, but you are to respect the decisions of the elders within a local congregation. So, for example, if an eldership... Uh, within a congregation decide that they don't wish to have you mm-hmm. even if you were previously an elder elsewhere yeah. that is their prerogative yes it is that is their decision but what they can't then do is it then extend it mm-hmm. to wherever, wherever you go next yeah. our, our decision extends to what other which other congregation or whatever congregation you might go to because at that on. particular point right there mm-hmm. is the moment they've stepped out of the local church, church. bounds right and if the if the church I mean this is a big mm-hmm. if but if the church had stuck to the biblical shall we say model okay just mm-hmm. for, for speaking sake mm-hmm. if they'd stuck to the local thing mm-hmm. then None of this hierarchical stuff would have been taking place really uh, in a kind of a universal sense mm-hmm. because the local church would have stood on its own. The local authorities would have been there, accountable. Mm-hmm. But once you start to make um, an elder a bishop and then put him into a, uh, over the diocese or over yeah. the parish, the moment you've done that is the moment you've opened the door to another system, yes. which is more Babylonish right. than, than the Holy Spirit. Than the Holy Spirit and uh, the local congregation taking that central place in redemptive history in the church age. Yes. That's why we call it the church age. Mm. You know, we, we say this as shorthand to, de- to describe yes. this last epoch of redemptive history, but there's a reason for yes. it. And that brings me to uh, another point as well. We were discussing previously how um, the uh, the local congregation, referred to as the church in New Testament scriptures, and arguably in Old Testament scriptures when you have the assembly or the synagogues, but certainly in the New Testament, um over against the language of kingdom yeah, and how there have been many and sometimes well-meaning who have relegated the significance of the word church, ecclesia, and elevate the word of kingdom. Yes. Basilean, I think is the Greek word. And they say, well, no, it's just about the kingdom. Yes. And the church, that's 
that's not really where it's at. It's about the kingdom. And then the kingdom extends to all these other institutions, all these other things, yes. all these other spheres of life. Do you just want to touch on that a bit? Because I know that's something that you Yes, seen. it's something that, again, I've heard um, uh, in recent days. Uh, I've heard well-meaning preachers, great men, actually. But they have said, you know, Jesus mentioned the kingdom X amount of times. And it was far, far more than he mentioned the word church. And to that, you you know, you agree. But when you look at the New Testament and you look at Jesus' words that I will build my church and you look at the whole reason for him dying and giving his life's blood for a bride and for a church and the epistles, they're all about building the church and advancing the church. Uh, it just bothers me that uh, sometimes the emphasis on the kingdom has just been touched a little bit by the flesh. And I usually find that those who promote kingdom over church um, are very often uh, itinerant uh, evangelists or preachers themselves, or they've got a TV ministry, um, parachurch ministry. In other words, they're not operating within like a local setting, more of a translocal, and it's in their benefit mentally and financially to talk about kingdom because they need... They need support, and that's true, but, you know, not to the detriment... Of giving to the local... Of giving to the local church. Yeah. And so uh, I do think that um, that money does play a part in that emphasis, and um, it bothers me. It disturbs me. That. And it disturbs me as well, Dad, that when you, you see that emphasis leading to things such as finance, and you sometimes question how how are those dots exactly joined together, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And is there an ulterior motive there? Yeah. So we can't really know the motives, but we can judge the doctrine. Yeah. And we see that it's flawed because according to the New Testament scriptures, thinking of Matthew, when we have the word church used in Matthew 18, um, uh, it's used interchangeably with the word kingdom. So in the New Testament age, the church is the kingdom. Yeah. Not the other institutions, not the family, not the economy, not the government. And that's why I did the debate in Seattle, the Two Kingdoms Theology debate, to get this biblical doctrine clear as possible so that we can preserve the purity of the church. And I often find these people who get Two Kingdoms, whether they're post-millennial, so you step on my post-millennial friends tours there, Mm -hmm. if you're listening, Mm -hmm. forgive me. But I find that they become too eschatological. Mm -hmm. They're trying to bring the, the, the not yet into the already. Because in the new heavens and new earth, we will have the kingdom everywhere. Yes. God will be all in all, according to 1 Corinthians 15. But in this age, known as the church age, it's the local church and the saints yes. who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, Luke 17, but the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah. And I've talked about this uh, several times before. Yeah, I think the only observational part of the kingdom of the church really is that local expression. Right. The gospel, the word you know. of God and the, and the, and the sacraments yeah. that are administrated from, from that church. And yes, there can be the evangelist. Of course. Yes, there can be power ministries. Um, but if it doesn't feed into the local church, if you're not seeking to uh, have those power ministries work uh, as close as possible to the local church, I think the trajectory of that is, is unhealthy and problematic. Yes, it's just a couple of degrees out and, and, and a length yeah. of time. And I think that's one of the reasons why we find so many individuals shipwrecked mm-hmm. um, because that trajectory. 
But I think if you um, if you give your fruit mm-hmm. of your labors to a local church, or at least be that way inclined and and have that local church uh, in your heart, I don't think you're going to go far wrong because that church belongs to Christ and we are minding the things of Christ and not the things of ourselves. Yeah. And even yourself, even though you you are currently a pastor of a local congregation, yeah. uh, ICI does mercy ministry on the foreign field as well mm-hmm. as domestically, but certainly on the foreign field. And you have instructed people before, no, give to your local church before you give to ICI as yeah. a power ministry. Yes. Give to ICI fellowship if you are part of it. Part of it. But you have to give to your local church. Yes. And this is very important. So it's not us saying, well, that's kind of self-serving because you you guys pastor and things like that. You know, we would say you must give to the church that's feeding you. Yes. To the church that's shepherding you. And I still love, live off support. So yes. it's not a case of my church giving me all the things that I need. Right. You know, I still raise support as a as a missionary. So right. I'm I'm basically in in both camps there, but as mm-hmm. you know, I've always uh, said to everyone, make sure that you honor the principle of the storehouse. Yes. You know, that's God's storehouse where people are nourished and the family of God is and mm-hmm. where you find a place and where you are being looked after spiritually and fed. So honor that first and um and yeah. then obviously have a heart for the mission field too, and yes, so absolutely, and that's yes. where I come in, you know. But, but then the point of the, the missionary is to establish more local churches. Yes, but on the on the mission field. Yes. So it always goes back to that and to the end of the age, I would argue. Yes. Um, but also just kind of bookending this as well, so we have a clear ecclesiology, uh, biblically speaking. Um, we're not saying that the eldership can do two things here. We're not saying that they can get involved in all your business. Mm. Sometimes there's a top heaviness to eldership. I well, we learned that in the 70s with the shepherding movement. Yes. And thank God those guys had second thoughts. Yes. And um, they realized that they'd gone too far. And, and to be honest with you, at that point, I am with the emerging church, not as a, as a movement, but in, in response, like, how dare you? Yes. It's a total how, intrusion. How, how dare you say, uh, you know, who you're going to marry? Hmm. I mean, as long as they're in the Lord, you know, you should have that liberty. By the way, that's not a personal experience. (laughs) Um, But I've heard of this stuff going on. Um, How dare you say, um, no, you you can't go to this place, you can't watch that movie, you can't do this recreational activity. Unless it's a clear transgression of Scripture, you have to give liberty. You have to give green light until the Bible says red light. Yes, let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. Judge nothing before it's time. Mm. So if somebody's doing something for the wrong reason, God knows. Yeah. But we are called to deal with sin in the church when it's an obvious open transgression. Mm-hmm. And even then there's a pattern to follow in Matthew 18 when somebody should first go to them privately yes. who witnesses it, then bring additional witnesses, and only then do we bring it to the church. So we're not about getting into all your business mm-hmm. and certainly not uh, having any say in your preferences whatsoever. Um. But we ask him for the health of your soul. God in his wisdom has set up the local church with shepherds, with pastors, as they're sometimes referred to, um, to shepherd the flock with with the word of God and the gospel and the sacraments. And it's there that you should find your spiritual sustenance. And if you're finding yourself getting it elsewhere, I would suggest that you uh, recognize that as a, a potential hazard 
and go back to the local congregation and submit yourself to the authority of that church. You don't have to agree with everything. Mm. We're not expecting you to. But if they have the gospel and they're faithful men of God, and they may not be the coolest people, or they may not be what you're looking for by preference, but if they have those essential qualities and they genuinely love and care for you, submit to them. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't kill you as a regenerate soul, as a regenerate person, to submit to elders who are watching out for the well-being of your soul. Yeah. So I think that's where the balance is, that the elders are to speak out on matters pertaining to the word. Yes. That's why Paul instructed Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, rebuke, exhort, correct. Mm. Let no man look down on your youth. So you can even be a young person. I'm being a bit self-serving here, but you can even be a young person mm-hmm. and serve as an elder, yes. as Timothy did. Um, but that's what we're doing. We're just pointing you to the Word of God. Yes. And, and letting the authority of the Word of God Yeah, And speak. not only receive the Word of God through their lives, but, you know, um, as James said, is there any sick among you? Yeah. Let, let them, them call for the elders of the church. So we can pray for the healing yes. of, of, the, of the sick. Yes. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, as the passage says, passage says there in James. So the, the true elder, the true pastor, should be sacrificial. Mm. He lays down his life for the sheep. He looks out for the well-being of the sheep. But he still has a chief shepherd, as First Peter 5 says, to which he is accountable to. Yeah. So Jesus is ultimately Lord of his church, both locally and universally. And that's why no one is above the authority of Scripture and God's Word. And that's why some elders sometimes, unfortunately, have to be removed from office because they fail to keep in good standing with the Scriptures. So it's not as if we can just have elders uh, permanently in office and they're no longer accountable. Mm. They are just as much accountable to the Scriptures as the newborn believer in the congregation. Well, they're more, aren't they? And the more... They receive a stricter judgment. James 3.1, I believe that Mm. is. Yeah, so um, I hope you can hear our hearts here, Mm. that this is um, a balanced position. And um, yes, we believe the church is autonomous, and we've argued from Scripture there. Um, Yes, we believe there should be elders, but it doesn't mean that eldership should uh, govern to the point of being involved in people's preferences in people's mm-hmm. private lives unless it's an open transgression and then we have to deal with it yeah, because in love the church is God's heritage and yes. we're not to be lords and right. coming from England we know really what a lord is right <laughs> we've seen them yes and they have a lot of power <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, there's a guy rebuked I think in 3rd John Di- Diotrephes yeah. for doing just that for lording himself over people yeah. he loves to have preeminence I believe uh, the scripture says or the Nicolaitans I think they were referred to as ones who had this extra clerical power that they shouldn't have had. Yeah. And well, I think the word kind of... It's a bit of mystery concerning the Nicolaitans. Right, but, right. But uh, the word tells you, in a sense, that they had supremacy over the, over the laity. One who rules over the laity, right? I think that's what the etymology is. Uh, so we really don't know, but we do have enough examples there. Um, so, so I think that's uh, the direction uh, we need to go as a culture, as we minister... Uh, in our local congregations. We want that authority to be there. We want the elders to be accountable to Scripture. But at the same time, we don't want to have this hierarchy whereby uh, the local congregation is dwarfed in its significance and authority. When, according to the Scriptures, as we have discovered, uh, the local congregation is where the life 
of the people of God should be within that covenant community. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to add to that? Uh, no, I that? think we've covered the points that um, <clears throat> we were looking to do tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, uh, my part in, um note would be concerning where we are as a generation. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we're not lovers of institution. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not lovers of systems anymore. And certainly we don't want um, people telling us what to do anymore. That's kind of where we're at as a, as a, as a generation. But my concern is that um, the, the 20-somethings and the early 30-somethings of the now, um, because they are not wanting to come under any authority mm-hmm. in any shape or form, even if it's from good quality spiritual men, mm-hmm. and they would rather just kind of sit in a circle with their coffee and basically share mm-hmm. what they think, you know, what does the word mean to you, and, and have a meeting like that. That concerns me greatly mm-hmm. uh, because while in one sense they're looking for authenticity mm-hmm. and to that, you know, I, I agree. You should always have authenticity. Um, but to throw out the preaching, the authoritative preaching of God's word, and the uh, loving authority of uh, elders uh, appointed uh, mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a train wreck waiting to happen. Yes. It's only a matter of time before they spin off because they're already, they're already on the path. They're on already ge- on the path. On that trajectory. Mm. Um, so if you, f- if you find yourself now saying things like, well, I just need a podcast, I just need to listen to sermons online, uh, don't even allow this, of course, to substitute the local congregation, the local church. Mm. Don't let any power ministry uh, substitute uh, your attendance week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out yeah. to a local church um, because that's where you can grow and find stability and uh, navigate through this earthly pilgrimage. Mm. For those who say, well, no, I don't need church that much, what's your secret would be my question. <laughs> what is your secret? How do you get through life without being under the, the uh, uh, constant nourishment of God's word mm-hmm. and the bestowed grace in the ordinances of the church? Well, I think partly is that they don't want to come under that light. Mm-hmm. Um, the light of the word is so strong when you really preach it faithfully mm-hmm. that it challenges you to the core, and that's why so many opt for a kind of a you know a, a snug room with a coffee and just sharing, or they go to a church which is so big, right? Uh, and and the gospel is good, but it's kind of the same level each week, but it's not challenging them to change. It's not challenging them to to walk with God in any uh, any deep fashion. Yes. Um, so I think that's another thing that uh, we, we're watching it happen as we as we speak. Yes, people are not living the life; they're bearing the name but not living the life. So when they come into a church that is um, fearfully preaching the word, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and yeah. say you know, and they usually end up leaving. I mean, it's never for that reason, but it is. It is. They'll give another reason why they leave, but basically they don't want that because yep. they're not living the life yes and yes we can contextualize we can if you will make those adjustments to be um, palatable to our generation but the substance of worship should never change the elements of worship should always be the same 
uh, on show five, I talked about the, uh, the worship spectrum and all the different views within worship. But fundamentally, uh, the substance or the elements of worship should never change. Word and sacrament, church, the form of church government, as we see it in Scripture, and how ministry is done. But the circumstances can change all the time. Yeah. The time we meet, uh, what music we play, what type of instruments we have. And that can be an occasion to be um, contextual, yeah. to be culturally sensitive. Yes. So we're not saying, well, we just, we just want to do the Bible and we just want you to obey the Bible and listen to the Bible and that's it. No, we do other things as well. We can even have, dare I say, programs yes. that run, along, run alongside to help people with certain events and so, certain socializations. Oh, is that a word? C- yeah. Certain social events yes. that they wish to be involved in. But at the end of the day, it needs to be the local congregation. And at the end of the day, you're going to like this, Dad. Mm-hmm. We need to trust Jesus Christ as Lord of the church and the Holy Spirit to build his church. Yes. And we must preach the word as Paul instructed Timothy. And we must, at the end of the day, after we prayed for the congregation, preach the word faithfully, trust that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and make them see these things as the scriptures uh, speak to. Yes. Yes. So, and a good wine skin mm-hmm. will be good for the wine. <laughs> yes, that's and that's right. why this topic is very important. Yes. So that we say we don't idolize the wine skin, but we appreciate what the Lord has simply put for us mm-hmm. as a as a as a model. And if we keep that, we'll keep everything on track. Yeah. Praise God. Well, thank you again. Dad, for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome, John. I'm sure we'll do it again. Yeah. Um, but uh, I hope you benefit from this show, and uh, I hope that uh, you're motivated to go to the Scriptures once again to study this subject, because it's an important one, as uh, we've uh, highlighted tonight. And uh, go to church this weekend. Uh, sit under the Word. Sit under the Gospel. Receive the communion, and be blessed at church this Sunday. God bless you all, and I'll see you next time.